0: Hosea 9 and 10. Before we read, let's let's bow in prayer. Excuse me. Father God, thank you that we can gather in your presence on a Thursday afternoon each week to worship you, to hear your word, to be encouraged in our faith and to be strengthened for our ministry in the marketplace. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and stir up our hearts right now in the power of your Spirit, stir us up, that we might live fully and freely for Jesus. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would fill me up, that I can bring your word to your people, to the glory and honor of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Rejoice not, O Israel. Exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. Threshing floor and wine vat shall not feed them, and the new wine shall fail them. They shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. They shall not pour drink offerings of wine to the Lord, and their sacrifices shall not please him. It shall be like mourners' bread to them, all who eat of it shall be defiled, for their bread shall be for their hunger only. It shall not come to the house of the Lord." What will you do on the day of the appointed festival and on the day of the feast of the Lord? For behold, they are going away from destruction, but Egypt shall gather them, Memphis shall bury them, nettles shall possess their precious things of silver, thorns shall be their tents. The days of punishment have come, the days of recompense have come, Israel shall know it. The prophet is a fool, the man of the spirit is mad because of your great iniquity and great hatred." The prophet is the watchman of Ephraim with my God, yet a fowler's snare is on all his ways and hatred in the house of his God. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel, like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. But they came to Baal Peor and consecrated themselves to the thing of shame and became detestable like the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, was like a young palm planted in a meadow. But Ephraim must lead his children out to slaughter. Give them, O Lord, what you will give. What will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. Every evil of theirs is in Gilgal. There I began to hate them. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even though they give birth, I will put their beloved children to death. My God will reject them because they have not listened to him. They shall be wanderers among the nations." Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. But the more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, We have no king, for we do not fear the Lord, and a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words with empty oaths, they make covenants so judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field the inhabitants of samaria tremble for the calf of bethaven its people mourn for it and so do its idolatrous priests those who rejoiced over it and over its glory for it is departed from them the thing itself shall be carried to assyria as tribute to the great king ephraim shall be put to shame and israel shall be ashamed of his idol samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them, and nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity." Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow, Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors, therefore the tumult of war shall rise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth arbel on the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. May God bless to us the reading from his holy word. Boy, when you read a passage like this, it makes you feel all cheery and warm inside, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it's really tough sometimes when you read the scriptures and you see what's there. You know, so often the, the modern depiction of God is almost like this doting grandfather that is clueless about what is going on in the world. And all he wants to do is just uh, spin out a little bit of his inheritance and things for his children. But passages like Hosea, really remind us that God takes what we do rather seriously. You know, even as Christians, God looks and and he sees us. And we've seen the situation here in Israel, and and we see these patterns repeated. Uh, Again, I won't go through everything that the text says, but in the the first half there of chapter 9, essentially what God is saying to Israel is saying, hey, all of your religious observances mean nothing to me. You know, it doesn't matter how much wine you pour out, how much bread you make to eat on my altars. It doesn't matter your prophets and, and, and whether they are prophesying with what feels like great prophetic power. It doesn't matter the festivals that you're keeping. It doesn't matter uh, the, the, the observances that you're making, the sacrifices that you're making. All of these things to God are not really that important is what he's saying. Because the thrust of this whole book so far has been God's call to faithfulness. What God really loves and what God has always wanted was a faithful people. A people who would honor him, a people who would follow him, a people who would obey him, and a people on whom he can lavish all of his blessings. You know, God is not a God who just wants a people that's going to be his servants. He is a God who has demonstrated that he wants a people who will be his children, who will really be his sons in the image of Jesus. And in order for God to have that kind of people, what he requires is not religious observances. What he requires is faithfulness, faithfulness to God, worshiping God alone. Because this passage gives us something that is a very important insight to, uh, to ourselves as, as human beings. And let's see if I can find it there again. Uh, where do where, 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 where uh, I lost it there. It's in chapter 9. Um, uh, I really hate it when this happens to me. You know, you, you get there and you think, oh, I've got that right there. And it was right there. And it, 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 almost, it, it almost was there. Um, do, 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 do. Well, I'll, I'll summarize it and then you can find it later. I mean, that might be the safest thing. I hate it when this happens. Uh, you know, it feels like when you're doing this, it's like an eternity up here. Uh, but, you know, occasionally you have to do this so you can laugh a little bit. Uh, but basically, what, what the, the prophet is saying here is that we will become like that which we love, we always become like that which we love. And that's a fundamental rule of our existence. And it's why God requires our faithfulness. Because if we are faithful to God and we love him alone, we will naturally become more like him. Now we see this in our lives. We see this principle at work all the time. You know, for example, if I'm out in a restaurant Uh, without Karen, which is a a, a rare thing that happens, but say I'm I'm at a conference or something like that and I go to a restaurant, uh, I oftentimes will pick something that has mushrooms in it. Now the thing is, I'm not that big a fan of mushrooms. I like them okay, but it's not something I would pick. But Karen loves mushrooms. And so when I'm not around Karen, I naturally gravitate toward the things that she loves. I've seen that. Why do you think that dogs start to look like their masters? Okay, maybe that's not, uh, we kind of uh, uh, transfer that to, other, to the animals. But, uh, but the point is this, we become like that which we love more and more and more. And that's why Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon, material wealth. Because if you're serving material wealth, if you're loving material wealth, you will become more consumeristic and, and take on the qualities of material wealth. And so we have here a picture throughout this book, and here in nine and ten, uh, of a people of God trying to do all the religious stuff, uh, thinking that everything is okay when when it's not. Thinking that they're doing all the religious observances, they're following all those things. Okay, it's it's all right if we have a few idols on the side. It doesn't really matter. Uh, just like it's you know, men some men think it's fine that I have a few women on the side, even though I'm married. You know, and that's the attitude that we're, that they were having. And they say, okay, this is, this is okay. It's not really important. And God says, no, it's very important because you will become like what you love and I want you to become like me. And so what I want from you is faithfulness. What I want from you is faithfulness. And so I'm going to bring you to a place, God's saying here, where you will long for faithfulness, where you will go after faithfulness, uh, where you will desire faithfulness, and where you will experience and live in faithfulness. And this whole process God's taking the people through is to get them to that place. And so after challenging all the things that they did, that they have been doing, after challenging their, their, their own behavior, you know, where in verse 13, chapter 10, they plowed iniquity and they've reaped injustice. You know, they've done that which was wrong. They've worked out of their brokenness. Uh, they've trusted in their own way. They've trusted in their wealth. They've trusted in their possessions. Uh, and because of all of that, they're going to have problems. But God says, you can do something about this. You can respond to me. And how does God want them to respond? He says that there in verse 12 of chapter 10. He says, sow for yourselves righteousness. Sow for yourselves righteousness, and you will reap Steadfast love. So the first call, and remember he's talking to people, he's not talking about a legalistic observance here, he's saying "So for, right, for yourself righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness ro- flows from right relationship with God and with others. So you are acting righteously When you are acting in a way that honors God and honors other people, that treats God right and treats other people right, that's righteousness in in essence here. It's a relational, there's a relational dynamic to righteousness throughout the scriptures. And so what God's saying is here, hey, be right toward me. Be right toward one another. Live like I've told you to live, and what you're going to reap, what you will meet, is steadfast love. That's my desire. I want your righteousness. I don't want your religious observances. I don't want your money. I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your prophetic words. What I want is righteousness from you, and what I will give you is steadfast love. You'll experience my steadfast love as you sow for yourselves righteousness. Now, it's important to note this, that when you sow something, you don't reap immediately. Everybody knows that when you put seeds in the ground, those seeds have to be planted, they have to be watered, they have to start to grow up, and then they have to mature. So when God says sow for yourselves righteousness, he's not saying do this as a quick fix and an easy solution. This is something that takes a commitment, this is something that's going to take, that you will reap over time, it's not like you give give me a little bit and I'm going to give you a little bit back right away. You've got to sow, you've got to invest yourself, you've got to plant yourself into righteousness. And of course, we as Christians, the way that we do that is plant ourselves through Jesus into righteousness because we have become in Christ the righteousness of God. But it's only through Jesus. Now, how can we do that? He says, you break up your fallow ground. What's a fallow ground? Fallow ground is ground that's been hardened. It's not been planted in. It's not been harvested. And so over time, the sun bakes it and it gets hard. And he says, your hearts have been hard. Your lives have been hard, hardened to me. So you're going to have to break it up. You're going to have to break up your fallow ground. You break up your fallow ground through repentance. You break up your fallow ground through a change of heart. You break up your fallow ground through paying attention to the Lord, and then he says, it is time to seek the Lord. So we break up the fallow ground and we seek the Lord. We need to go back to God. It's not about doing religious stuff. It's about getting back with God. And he's challenging us to do this for the purpose that God may come and rain righteousness on you. See, if we don't break up the fallow ground, when the rain comes, when God acts, we miss it. It just rolls off. And so we break up the hardness of our hearts. We break it up to seek the Lord and say, God, come and rain your righteousness on me. Soften my heart, soften my life. Let me be a good field for you, yielding good seed. Let my life be a life that brings honor and glory to you. And ultimately, this happens for us through Jesus Christ because it's his death on the cross and his resurrection that enables that follow ground to be broken up inside of us and for us to experience fully the righteousness of God. You know, at the end of the day, we can do all kinds of religious things, but ultimately what God wants is us. He wants hearts that are softened to him, hearts that are open to him, hearts on which he can pour out his righteousness so that we will live in righteousness, so we will experience his steadfast love and share that steadfast love with other people. But for that to happen, we must turn to the Lord and seek him and pursue him and say, God, I want you, I desire you. I don't want all the religious stuff around me, but I want you. It's not to say the religious stuff is bad. It's great when it's founded in a relationship with God, but what God ultimately wants is that relationship. And in this season, I think, of history, in this season of history in the West, God is calling the church in the West to come back to faithfulness, to break up the fallow ground and open our hearts that God may pour out righteousness and, dare I say, even his Holy Spirit on his church again. Father God, thank you so much that even though you may have hard things to say to us, your heart is not hard toward us, that you love us and you call us. And I pray that we might respond to that call and draw close to you. Lord, even though sometimes I look around and it almost seems hopeless, it seems like the church is receding in the West, it seems like Satan is having victory, I know that what I think I see is not true. I know that you are still God and you're still in charge. You still have a plan. You still have a hope. You still have a vision. And I pray, Lord. I pray that you'd rain righteousness on your people. Rain righteousness on your people. That the church in the West might rise up in the fullness of its calling and destiny.